back to horror queers we're talking another round of water births we're talking jonesy the cat and we're talking bloody nipples and i'm joe damn it okay and i'm trace and we're talking mutilated titties everybody that's damn it joe <laughs> you know it's allowable because really if there's one thing that kind of stands out in terms of this film it's some bloody nipples. You know what? I'll, I'll let it go because your bloody nipples are really in the halfway point of the movie, whereas my mutilated titty is like the end of the movie. So I'll let it work. Right. And uh, spoilers, everybody. We are talking about a lesser known film called Grace. So if you haven't seen it, it's kind of a spoiler. But uh... <laughs> but why are we discussing this movie, Joe? This is our Mother's Day entry, so we decided what better way to celebrate horror and Mother's Day than to combine a horrific tale that will make you probably never want to have children? Well, and, uh, you know, we decided that since we are two white men with no children and no desire, well, at least, yeah, no desire, we've talked about this, to ever mm -hmm. have children. <laughs> and for our very small group of listeners who actually are mothers, um, we just thought it'd be nice to throw y'all a bone. And right. because of that, we actually have a guest that falls into that demographic. So, ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between, you've read her work at Fangoria, Birth Movies Death, Rue Morgue, and Dread Central. Uh, for that last one, she actually wrote a monthly column called Gender Bashing, which served as a thematic exploration of horror films with a focus on gender. Uh, and that'll probably help, help this episode. <laughs> Please welcome Anya Stanley. Hello. Ooh. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for coming. How are you doing? I'm doing as well as we can in this in this madness. Um, <laughs> I have I have two kids with me, and you know this movie is very um, very relevant in that, like you guys said, it's it's it makes you not really want to have children, and um, <laughs> and neither does a pandemic. Yes, I'm very tuned into that wavelength right now, being stuck with my kids all day every day. It's a lot of fun. How old are your kids? 12 and 6, two boys. Oh, my God. But you know what? You did a good job spacing them out. My parents tried to space five years between my sister and I, and we got a year and a half. Oof. Oh, nice. I mean, <laughs> I've heard I've heard that spacing them out makes them uh, more endeared to, to each other and that they'll fight less, but I have not found that to be true. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, and when does that click in? Because I have not, not seen it yet. <laughs> it does not at all. <laughs> Oh, dear. Well, so, yeah, um, we are discussing, oh, okay, I'm going to say Paul Soleil, but do we think it's Solette? It, I think it's Soleil. Okay, we're going to say that. It's fancy in French, right? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, so, okay, I, I had seen this movie before uh, once in college. It, it was one of my blockbuster movies when I was working at Blockbuster in college, and I really, really, really loved it. Um, I still really liked it this time, but I felt the pacing like the slow pacing more this time that being said it holds up for me but i can imagine if people are walking into this expecting like it's alive they're gonna walk away disappointed 
Yeah, this is definitely more of a slow burn. So I've seen this film three times. I saw it when it first debuted at Fantastic Fest. So I actually was one of the first people who got to see it. I even interviewed Paul Soleil for a piece. Was it like was it like a digital screener? This was back in 2009. So it was like a theatrical experience. But you said at Fantastic Fest? Oh, sorry. Fantasia. Oh, I was like, Joe. <laughs> It's problematic that those two festivals have near identical names. I confuse them all the time. <laughs> we'll talk about it in a second, but this actually did premiere, I believe, at Sundance first. Oh, really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I, I had the pleasure of seeing it on the big screen with a crowd. And let me tell you that there's a bunch of different parts of this movie that plays very well with an audience. And then I rewatched it in 2019, so last year, because it was celebrating its 10th anniversary. And then I rewatched it again for this and i liked it all three times this is a film that as i said it's a slow burn but i think it's exceedingly well made and i'll talk a bit more about it later but to me this is like a good crash course film in terms of if people are interested in getting into film criticism this film is kind of easy to like pick apart and start to pick up cues on how directors work with various departments to say like this is what i want to achieve in terms of mood and themes and all that kind of stuff that's good because I, while i still like this movie there's one aspect of it and it, it wasn't really bothering me until my husband who i watched this with um it was his first time watching it and he was like this part of the movie feels like a totally different movie and i don't understand why it's here interesting oh i think okay. i know what part that might be <laughs> oh, okay. so anya this was your first time watching this as well right it was i went into it Mostly blind. Um, I had seen the the cover art. I think Shutter had carried it for a while as well, mm -hmm. um, and yes. I just I, I hadn't I had never gotten around to it. Uh, it had been something on my radar for a while. And it, my boyfriend, uh, he actually he has a physical copy. He's on the other side of the country, and so I wasn't able to borrow it. I had to just go ahead and rent it. But I had gone in without knowing much about it at all beyond it's it's mommy horror. Um, mm -hmm. so I, I watched it and I was, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it would be kind of cheesy and it, it turned out to be, like you said, a great slow burn. I like what you said about it being a perfect entry film for people who want to get into film criticism, because I, I do think accessibility and the kind of thing that some people might call spoon feeding is actually, mm -hmm. um, it, it's very helpful when you're trying to learn how to read a film properly. And um, this film has a lot of it, and it does it well. It 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 doesn't really doesn't pander down to you. It doesn't it doesn't act as if you're stupid. It takes itself seriously, and it takes the audience seriously. So um, I was really into it. I thought it was it was a good payoff for for the time that you put into it. I agree with that. And the the issue with movies like that, though, were like obviously all of us are film critics. We've all like written about film before and we talk about it clearly, but that's good for us. But then you also have viewers and I'm not going to call them stupid because that's not what they are, <laughs> but just different expectations. Yeah. Cause I, I can see someone watching this movie and being like, this is really boring. Also, why is X person doing these things? Because they're not telling me why they're doing them. You know, you have to just read mm -hmm. their faces and read the acting and read the, 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 the camera work and the motions and everything. And I can see this being a difficult watch for some people. Yeah, I mean, I think in this particular case, it's helpful to go in knowing that it's not something like It's Alive or other maybe mommy horror like um, 
I know, right? <laughs> I'm trying to think of like other like pre- pregnancy. I mean, well, I was almost thinking of like for some reason I thought of the lodge or like let the right one in as sort of comparisons mm. where they're both moody and a little bit grim. They've got really fatalistic endings. You um, could also argue like I mean obviously it's not really, but it, it's kind of like a what happens after the end of Rosemary's Baby, right? Yeah, like yeah. the the story of the mother who will literally do anything. To protect their child, and there was a there was a short in what movie was that? It was a an anthology. I want to say it was Karen Kusama that did it. It was like Rosemary's Baby continued. The movie is XX though because it's all women directors. Yes, yeah, that's the one, and she did that. And this does feel kind of like that, although I mean we'll get into it later. But but this is it seems less like what would a mother do? How extreme would a mother go in order to protect her child? And more like, what are the lengths that we would go to to fulfill our maternal instincts? It felt like um, exploring how self-serving that can get. And and I thought that that was a really cool angle for the movie. And I think, and you know, because Joe and I actually discussed something about this recently. And so we did an episode on The Strangers for our Patreon about how, like, in that movie, the setup for the characters is it's very, it's, hey, he just proposed to her. She rejected it. That's the only, like, character base we have to go off of this movie. This movie's kind of the same way where you don't really know much about uh, Madeline, uh, Jordan Ladd, except for the fact that, yeah, they've been trying and she's stuck in this terrible fucking marriage. <laughs> but yeah. she still pushes forward. Right. And and everything we know about her is related to her role as a wife and mother. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's what it yeah, seems like. Yeah, like she has no other personality in this film. <laughs> right. And though, I, I don't know, do you guys think that hurts the film or helps the film? Um, for me, I'm like neutral to, I don't think it hurts or helps. It it just helps me fill in her character. But I think as someone who doesn't have any paternal instincts or needs, and luckily because I'm gay, I can't accidentally have a child. It's awesome. (laughs) It it is hard for me sometimes when I'm watching a movie like this or anyone, any film or TV show or reading a book where someone is like, you know, it's like, oh, but like for the child, for the baby. And I'm sitting here like, I'm a self-preservationist. Like, I'm thinking about myself first. I don't care. Screw them kids. I don't understand why. Like, again, I have a zombie baby. I'm like, you know what? Let's donate it to science. Totally fine. But oh my God. <laughs> this is why we need an Anya on this episode. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, the second I... that baby started, it started biting nipples. I was kind of like, I mean, you know, maybe we need to just let what happens happens here. You know, maybe just... Yeah, kinda... or like bring in somebody because you know that's not right. And yet... <laughs> we can talk about like the logistics about how I, when we talk about the plot because my, one issue I have is that it should Patricia should have known something was up and I don't fully buy that just the girlfriend like not giving her the messages would have been enough to not have her go check on Grace. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, especially yeah. as obsessive as she was about her. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. But so, okay, before we get into that, so just really quickly. So this actually is based on a short film uh, that Paul Soleil made in 2006 starring, and this was the funny thing to me, Brian Austin Green. So weird. And, oh, I, I say Liza Whale. Maybe Wile, Liza Whale. I don't know, but that's Paris from Gilmore Girls. <laughs> <laughs> Which I can see. I can't see him. I can definitely see her. Yeah. Absolutely. And she's a tremendous actress who hasn't really gotten her due. But you know what? She's got herself a home with Shonda Rhimes on how to get away with murder. So that's all good, well and good. <laughs> right. <laughs> she's living in a much bigger house during this pandemic than any of us. So <laughs> let's not worry about her. <laughs> so yeah. but um, And then I guess 
Adam Green, the, the guy who did Hatchet and Frozen, um, not the Disney one, but the ski one, is a producer on this film. So I actually wonder if he saw the short and like helped Paul Soleil get this off the ground. So yeah, this uh, gets made because the short was so strong. And I'm sad to say I did not get to watch the short. This is a film that I discovered was actually in my Blu-ray collection. I had no idea. <laughs> and the short's not on the Blu-ray. <laughs> Which, uh, it, it makes me wonder if it's a rights issue because that seems like a big oversight. Yeah. I agree. Well, okay, actually, the back of the box does not say the short is included. I didn't actually scour the special features because we've had times before where I was like, oh, there's no commentary. And it was, it just wasn't listed on the back of the box. Okay. I have the DVD of this, and I don't believe the short is included on that. So unless the Blu-ray had a different release, I don't think it's on there either. I doubt it. But this premieres at Sundance in 2009. I clearly went to Fantasia as well. I'm sure a couple of other film uh, festivals. But it finally opens on August 14th, 2009, uh, released by Anchor Bay Entertainment. Mm -hmm. With them, I'm like, okay, like it could be shit. It could be good. I don't really know. Generous, glorious runtime of 85 minutes. I'm so happy to say that. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this film earns that runtime. It maybe could be trimmed down just a touch. Um, Yeah. But overall, I actually feel like it does well with the runtime. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I felt like um, it was—it it wasn't like all that. Um, like the pacing was kind of a little laggy in a couple of parts. But when I was watching it for the first time, I felt like you know this works as is. But it could also work as an extended short film, maybe. And then that's mm-hmm. when I found out that oh, it was a short film. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I. I. I think. <laughs> that's that's a problem right you know when you take a short and you turn into a feature-length film the last thing you want to hear is it feels like a short that's been stretched to feature length (laughs) yes like lights out i I knew that was gonna come up (laughs) really okay okay i i i haven't seen lights out since the theater but i i remember enjoying it fine i liked it i liked the i liked the concept i thought it was really good i thought it was it was fun uh, but I thought, eh, you could have just left it as a short. would have been fine. See, what I think happens with this film in particular, like, I haven't seen either Lights Out, but um, oh, I, oh, I dude, agree. Oh, the short's so good! <laughs> I've heard. But I feel like that's often what happens, right, is that the short gets picked up because it's a great concept, and then mm-hmm. they have to figure out a way to stretch it. What I think happens in this case, because I believe the short, in this case, judging just based on the actor's, I think there's only the two of them. So what happens with this film when it gets made into a feature is that we get the characters of Vivian and Patricia. And to me, a lot of the really interesting stuff in this film is actually the interplay between obsessive personalities between the three mother figures. Mm-hmm. It's all about juxtaposition. I would agree. But whereas I feel like Madeline and Patricia are at least grounded in reality, Vivian is like, camping it up she is doing the most (laughs) yes that's and not even not only her acting but also the way the character is written it feels so comical sometimes sometimes it's like oh like this is really kind of fucked up and disturbing but then other times it's like oh you're just overdoing it and so i don't know if it's a bit of a disconnect for me with the rest of the film but overall it works but sometimes that woman's performance, and I'm sorry, I'm Vivian is Gabrielle Rose. It's just too much sometimes, I think, for the movie. I'm seeing that she was in The Stepfather? Yeah, so all the all the, the, uh, the 
oh my god, the credits that I pulled for her, it's Stepfather, Time Cop, Double Jeopardy, Jennifer's Body. It's like small things. Like she was, um... She's oh. the mom, I think, a lot. <laughs> well, she, she's Kyle Gallner's mom in Jennifer's Body and what? She maybe has two lines. So I think that's kind of like her. So she may be in the Stepfather, but I doubt it's a big role. Oh, yeah, I was trying to think back, like uh, trying to picture that face. I was like, she wasn't one of the one of the moms, was she? I will say though that she, the, her look fits this role very well in this movie. Hmm. Um, I don't know the budget for this film. I imagine it must be very, very small because we spend a lot of time in this house. Yeah, I can tell you that they shot this in the middle of Canada. So they're not even shooting in like Toronto or Vancouver, which are, in addition to Montreal, are the main production hubs in Canada. They literally shot this in the equivalent of central USA. Like, think one of the states where their main production is corn or wheat. (laughs) I didn't no. think there was anything between Montreal and Toronto. I thought it was just like open land. Oh my god, Trace. Crack a geography book. <laughs> <laughs> I had this globe when I was a kid, and I, I remember I always got Saskatchewan, which I thought was in Europe, but it was always in Canada. That is correct. Yeah, I can't remember <laughs> if they shot it in Saskatchewan or if they shot it in Manitoba, which are like the two kind of oh, provinces. Okay, you you saying that it's bringing because it, this globe was like an electronic trivia question voice, and you had to like press the spot on the globe that it was asking you to find, and it was like this robot voice. It was like Manitoba, Saskatchewan. <laughs> it was sorry, I'm like having flooding of like childhood memories. That's amazing, and I so, love it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it gets released August 14, 2009. It opens in two theaters. So I'm betting it's one in L.A. and one in New York, or both of them in L.A. I don't know. Um, number 73 spots with $6,174. It goes on to gross $8,297. So I bet we got two theaters, two weekends. Yeah, this is, this is the definition of a small independent film. It probably only got picked up because, uh, what's his name? Adam, whatever. Adam uh, Green. Adam Green liked it and threw some money its way, and then it probably played the festival circuit and then dropped on Anchor Bay DVD. I believe that. Um, Reception, however, was mostly positive. We're looking at a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 6.61 out of 10, but a letterbox score of 5.2 out of 10. That's kind of where I was coming from, where I was like, you know, I can imagine this would be a difficult watch for people. And just from seeing some random reviews on Letterboxd, it was like, oh, really good premise, but it doesn't really have the gut punch that's necessary for baby horror or the the. It's interesting premise, but the execution sucks. The ending is terrible. The ending is amazing. The ending is fantastic. I agree, but then there's another review that's a four-star review that's like, oh, kind of rough to watch as a parent. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I remember sending a copy of this to a friend of mine whose wife was expecting, and he was like, dude, (laughs) what the fuck are you thinking right now? Oh, that's fantastic. You should should have sent them inside as well. Yes, right? I think that would make a great double bill. You've got one who really wants a baby and ends up in a car accident and loses her husband and has to raise it. And the one who doesn't want a baby and ends up in a car accident and loses her husband and has to keep it. But which order would you watch them in? Uh, I would start with this one and then end on Inside because Inside is admittedly a bit more of a thrill ride. I agree. You know what? I'm actually surprised that you didn't pick Inside for this week's pick, but I'm happy that you picked Grace. You know what? I keep 
I keep resisting it because I feel like I'm forcing inside on people, but also because we just did murders like a month and a half ago. Yeah, we got to like put more gaps between French extremity, like one a year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to overburden. I was thinking of going through my French extremity films just for just for quarantine. And I mean, oh, you know, you kind of have to be in the mood to do it, but you know, what better <laughs> time than now? Or just like clockwork orange yourself and be like, all right, here we go. <laughs> I just want to feel something. <laughs> exactly. That's what it is. But yeah, so I mean, yeah, this comes out mostly positive reception, but I mean, it, it essentially goes straight to DVD. I imagine it opened in theaters, you know, and it came to DVD like two weeks later after it came out. So yeah, it is what it is. I don't really have much more. There's not a lot of information about this movie, but I, I actually wish that I would have found out why like Jordan Ladd got this role. I actually, like, we've discussed Jordan Ladd in our Hostel 2 episode. I love her. I think she's really, really good. But I think she's frequently seen as, like, the blonde. Mm -hmm. She's pretty. And and she is. I mean, you know, she's the daughter of Cheryl Ladd. But I'm happy that she took this. Because this is at least something where I'm like, you know what? If you think that she's just the blonde who gets killed at some point in the film. Cabin Fever. Death Proof. um, Mm -hmm. Club Dread. I don't remember if she dies in that movie. God, who remembers that movie? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so that's it. That's all I got. I think one of the things that I really like about this, I mean, you you tend to find it with smaller films as well. Like when I posted my 10 year anniversary piece, she and Paul Soleil were all like they were all over it. They were so excited that people were talking about the film again. They talked about their memories of it. Like they clearly really still have a fondness for this film. Like I think they both look back on it and think this is a great little film and I'm glad people remember it and continue to watch it. Well, I mean, I imagine, I mean, because again, it's his first big film, and it's also, I mean, again, I don't know her entire filmography, but I imagine, like, one of the first films where she's not only a lead, but it's, like, a serious genre picture, you know? Like, mm-hmm. we all, like, there is Cabin Fever, there is Death Proof, um, but those aren't, like... They're not acting showcases. Right, right. Right, she really sunk her teeth into this one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> into that mutilated titty. Well Mimosa done. number two. <laughs> oh gosh yeah i think the movie's strength was in its in in its lead actresses and and in the the warring mother figures as you said earlier um madeline's great uh vivian i loved because i couldn't tell i I thought i'd ask you guys because you guys are probably better experts at camp than i am um does it does vivian count as camp i say yes I'll confess, I never really looked at her that way, but I can absolutely see it now that the pair of you are questioning it. I just, I see her as somewhere between a pathetic figure and like a scary obsessive. Like she, I think she actually was in love with her son. Yes. And the concept of motherhood to such a degree that she literally now sees this child who she has never laid eyes on until she breaks into the house in the third act. Mm -hmm. And like, this is her only way of keeping her son's memory alive. And so I just, I always saw her as a tragic figure, but I can absolutely see like the minute that she starts, you know, like trying to get the husband to start sucking on her tits and you're like, Oh no. Oh, I would argue that. Oh, that was one of the best scenes of the movie. (laughs) It's great. But I can also see, like, someone watch this movie and saying, oh, this is funny. Like, this, it, it is uncomfortable. It is awkward. And it's also probably a very real thing that has, like, that someone or multiple women have gone through. I almost wish, and I say almost because I don't know if I really want it, 
that maybe the screen time for the film had been split between Madeline and Vivian so we can see more Vivian to make those moments that are kind of insane Mm. a a bit less unintentionally funny. That is Mm -hmm. fair, because when we check in with Vivian, she's often doing something a little off the rails, right? And so if that's the only time that we're seeing her, then she starts to seem like more of a comedic figure. Right. And it seems kind of decadent in that way, where the only time you see her is when she's she's almost over the top. And with regards to camp, it feels like, I think one of my definitions of camp is where it feels like ridiculous excess is the only way it could have been. It can't look like you're actually making an effort. Right. And it feels like, like that's kind of happening with Vivian. But I think that's more because the movie just takes itself seriously. It's not winking well, at anybody. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. And I feel like that Paul Soleil directed her to act like that. And mm-hmm. so, but again, I don't know if the intention was to be over the top. I don't know if he thought he was right. being over the top. And yeah. I mean, we talk about intentionality a lot on this because like, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. It just matters of how you take it in as you're watching it. But I, I, I would love to talk to him and be like, were you trying to be funny with this character? Or, or, or yeah, were you viewing her as a tragic figure? Right. I can say I did not ask him that question. <laughs> so I can't help you at all. <laughs> well, but, but see, you didn't pick up on that, though. You didn't pick up on, like, notes of camp, apparently, until we brought it up. So that also, I mean, that says something. Not, about, I mean, not only about you, but about the film itself. You know, it just plays differently. Yeah, like I I chuckle at some of the things that she does. But for me, the only real kind of moment of camp is in that sort of extended coda in the RV at the end of the film, where I'm just like, I'm kind of cackling because it feels like the film is driving off into dust till dawn territory. Because they're in an RV. Because they're in an (laughs) RV, but also because they're wearing like these cheap ass, you know, dollar store wigs. They're... Yeah. Like it, like it almost that to me, like the final shot even is so that to me feels very campy. Like it's terrifying and gruesome, but it's also like, look, this baby's literally eating off my breast at this point. It's kind of crazy. I love some good titty horror. Like a really good booty mm. horror is is my favorite. I think the, the, the highest standard was in, uh, what was it? The Witch? Didn't the witch have a, a bird oh, yeah, yes. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I will say that during this this pandemic, um, for some reason, my left nipple has been very like sensitive and sore, and so <laughs> I, I don't know why. <laughs> I have I literally have no idea why. It just is. Maybe have sympathetic tit issues. I, I guess I don't know. But watching like again this whole breastfeeding thing, I was just like poking at my nipple, like oh my god. And I have tiny nipples, you know. I don't and I don't <laughs> have boobs, but I was just like oh that. Mm, 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 mm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> little lanolin cream will, will clear that up right up for you. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see a doctor about that. <laughs> don't just hide in your house. Go and see a doctor. Don't don't be a Madeline. I mean, it's not bleeding. Don't it's just a, a little sore. And I, I was rubbing it as I was saying that, so I'm a little hard. Sorry, my nipple's a little hard right now, but it's okay. God. Oh, God. Okay, can I go into this already? That was my cueing you to transition. I just start saying <laughs> gross things until you're like, okay, let's move on. Oh, God. Okay, so film opens with some nightmarish foreshadowy imagery, and then we open proper on Michael, Stephen Park, who's in this movie for a hot second, mm-hmm. and Madeline, Jordan Ladd, making love dispassionately. 
<laughs> for a first time watch, you're always like, oh, wow, this is not a good marriage because there is nothing happening in the bedroom. So, okay, I have a personal question. And Anya, you can choose to plead the fifth and I'll cut this out. <laughs> were you, when you had your kids, were you trying for both of them? Were they accidents or was it just like a, hey, if it happens, it happens type thing? Number one, we tried. Number two was a surprise. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> As a surprise baby myself. Yay. Right. Number two was like just a couple of months after I had gone on Facebook and told everybody, you know what? I'm tired of people asking me when we're going to have number two. It's never going to happen. We're happy with number one. And <laughs> three, three weeks later, I was pregnant. So, Oh, my shit. God. <laughs> So Let me just go back and works. delete that Facebook post. Yeah. <laughs> I only asked because I, I was like, well, you know, if you were trying and maybe not having success, like, I can see how, because this scene obviously is so awkward and uncomfortable, and it's like, it almost looks like a rape scene, some like, to an extent, mm-hmm. because it's just like, she's not having it. She is not but, as someone who's never experienced trying to have a kid and not been successful, I can imagine, yeah, I mean, they've had two miscarriages already, which we don't know yet, and we find out later, and... They try, they try, they try, and so I think, I mean, I guess it makes sense, you know, but, like, there's, like, a passion that's missing from this sex. Yeah, Well, and typically when people are making love on a particular cycle, like, okay, we've got to have sex right now at this moment, like, drop your pants, we're getting to it, it's not about intimacy at that point. Like, you're literally trying to physiologically make a baby. That's it. Yeah, it's all business um, yeah. when it came to... The only movie I can think of that doesn't do that is Rosemary's Baby, where they kind of like, let's make love. And, you know, it's a, it's a whole nice scene on the on the floor of their, right. their new apartment. There's drugs involved in that, isn't there? There is, uh, but... Oh, you know. yeah. See, for some reason, because like the second that she raised her legs up to, you know, like, like gravitate the semen towards her ovums or whatever. <laughs> I always think about that scene in Election whenever Matthew Broderick's wife is trying to get pregnant and she's like, fill me <laughs> up, fill me up. <laughs> yep. I thought it was great, though. She pulls up her knees up and she's she looks like a fetus. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was cool. Okay. <laughs> it's like, yes, yep. I love the visuals. Okay, let's do this. I was, I was dialed in at that point as soon as she, you know, put her knees up. Legs in go. the air. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it does end up working. We hear the sounds of a heartbeat on an ultrasound over the credits, so we know that they've been successful. And then we don't really know how much time has passed, but obviously when we see Madeline again, she is quite pregnant. Mm-hmm. So our introduction to the rest of the extended family is over a very uncomfortable family meal. Folks, if you do not like discomfort in your horror, I might oh. steer you away from Grace, because this film is just filled with uncomfortable encounters. The, uh, this, okay, so talking about film criticism, though, this is an example of sound design that is on point. It's the scraping of the forks mm-hmm. on the plates. It's so grating. And the close-ups of the food, like, as she's talking about how she doesn't like tofu, and is it going to give everything that they need, and you're seeing, like, the close-ups of her picking things off the plate. It's so gross. Mm-hmm. Well, this is your establishing scene. You know, th- this scene tells you everything you need to know about each of these characters. About their dynamic, yeah. Mm-hmm. Their dynamic and even just important stuff like the fact that Madeline is a vegan and it is something that her husband partially supports her on, but he is also very much a mama's boy. Mm-hmm. It, um, 
Yes, sorry. I was going back to the sound of the forks, but it's I passed it. it. No, okay. oh, well, have you all ever seen this movie called Tetsuo the Iron Man? Have I seen Tetsuo the Iron Man? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who do you think you're talking to? Anyway, so Joe, you said you haven't seen it there, right? I haven't. No, I've heard a lot about it. Though. Okay, I mean, I'll never watch it again. It was a film school watch for me. Like, I had to watch it for a class, and um, I'm sure yeah, people love it. I, it's not a movie I ever want to see ever again. <laughs> But it uses sound with metal very, very well. And this whole scene just felt like an homage to that movie, even though it probably wasn't. But, like, it was just the scraping of the forks and everything. Uh, It, like, just, like, cut a knife through this horrible tension around this whole scene. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a masterclass in passive aggressiveness, that entire scene. I wrote in my notes, oh, the husband's mom is a cunt. And I had cunt in all caps. (laughs) Whereas I just call her controlling. (laughs) The difference in our dynamics. It's fine. It works. <laughs> yeah. So the the big takeaway, in addition to establishing their characters and their dynamics, is the fact that Madeline has no intention of going to a doctor, and in particular, a Richard Son, played by Malcolm Stewart. She would like to go with a natural birth and midwifery. Midwifery? Is that how you say that? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Is it? <laughs> It's it's the practice of midwifery, and you go to see a midwife. But it's not midwifery. No. Oh, okay. I'm pronouncing it wrong then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I have educated both of you. It's That's fine. Yeah. I, I'm going to call bullshit on it, but yeah, sure. We'll, we'll, we'll pretend like it's called midwifery. Oh, I'm going to come out on top of this one. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's go and check out uh, the midwife. So Michael and Madeline drive to Nature Birth, which is a remote clinic, which is fronted by Patricia Lang, played by Samantha Ferris. Love her. I love this character, and I love this woman playing her. Mm -hmm. I remember her from the 4400, which is one of those middle brow science fiction shows that was shot in Vancouver because you can, (laughs) you can see city hall or is it the art? Yeah, I'm just going to cut that. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Basically there's like, they use this one building that gets used in every fucking science fiction show. Like Arrow used it. Kyle XY used it. It's like, if you are a science fiction show and you shoot in Vancouver, you use this set. Okay. Yeah. I remember her from Supernatural. Supernatural is where I remember her from as Ellen. And she's kind of a a hard ass character in that show. And I'm right. She's a badass in that. She is. And she's pretty maternal in that one, too. So I thought this was an interesting role for her in this movie. Do we know if she, and not that it really matters, but do we know if she's a lesbian IRL? I don't believe so, but I don't know for sure. Okay. I actually had completely forgotten about the lesbianism in this film. Mm -hmm. So when it happened, I was like, oh, this is why we picked it. (laughs) (laughs) I love how understated the lesbianism is in this film it's actually a significant driving component of it like that's part of why patricia ends up being a component in this film and yet at the end of the day there's no mention of lesbianism they don't even they don't even come right out and say that they had a relationship they just talk a little bit around it Mm I like how subversive it is. In that well, way. that that goes back to y'all saying, though, like, this is a film that doesn't treat its audience like it's stupid. It expects you to pick up on these things with the subtle cues, and there's a lot of those in this movie. Yeah. Let's just say that I had a little bit of whiplash having watched Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake, last week, and now mm-hmm. watching this. I was like, there's a movie that treats me like I'm stupid, and here's a movie that's like, 
figure shit out yourself. Freddy Krueger, <laughs> child molester. No? Yes. No? Oh, yes. snoozy Mara. <laughs> snoozy Mara. <laughs> okay, so what we learn from this discussion with Patricia is that there is a history of miscarriages in this relationship, that there is a potential relationship that preexisted between Patricia and Madeline back in the day, and that Michael... I don't know if he picks up on it, but he obviously doesn't quite trust her because he wants to grill her about her qualifications and everything to do with being a midwife because he doesn't seem to like her very much. But this bitch is prepared. She is prepared mm-hmm. for these fucking questions. <laughs> She's got pamphlets. She had a diploma ready. She had it all. Well, I love the comment that's out. Oh, these are all state funded. They're not private. Like, they are legit. Mm-hmm. And there's that mm-hmm. moment where Grace says something like, like, blah, 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 blah. It's on page 14. And it's like, yeah, bitch, you tell your husband. <laughs> it's in a textbook. Yeah. I, I don't like that there are pictures in the pamphlet, though. That was gross. Um, But, I mean, it's to scare you away from going to a hospital. Yeah. it's It's just unusual to see, like counter hospital propaganda like i'm not used to it so it seemed really weird yeah that makes sense and i can tell you i i did for my firstborn i had a hospital birth with drugs for my firstborn and then i I mean an epidural i wasn't i wasn't like tweaking or anything (laughs) no yeah Um, (laughs) you weren't tweaking (laughs) she was on rosemary's baby drugs (laughs) and then uh six years later my second i had him pretty close to the way grace i mean not exactly the way grace does um Wait, so you had a natural home birth? I had a natural, um, I had a, a water birth with a midwife and a doula. Wow. Okay. May, yeah. may I ask, what... Are you going to ask whether she pooped in the tub? Because no, we had those questions. Because when we did Lyle way back in the day, <laughs> we talked a lot about it. I had such a huge fear of this. I did not poop in the tub, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I was a 10 and a half pound baby when I was born, and so I have been like regaled with stories about how I ripped my mother from vag hole to asshole, and it's just like... Ooh, you tore her yeah, a new one. Yeah, I l- literally did. <laughs> um, but no, no, no. But like, so what, was there an instigator between the six years between your children's birth like that made you say oh i don't want to do the epidural in the hospital i want to do this instead yeah i had an epidural in my birth plan but um my labor had progressed so fast within i think it was two hours that they didn't have time to call the uh, anesthesiologist down they just i i got to the hospital and they checked me and they said oh you're fully dilated get in the tub so i did and then i pushed the kid out and I, i i didn't have time for it um, no, wait, you can do a water birth at a hospital? You can, and I did. It was actually, oh, it was a military hospital, too. At the time, I was uh, I was in the Army Reserves, and you can you can do it. And so, um, yeah, I did, and, and I had a, no actual doctor. I had a midwife and a doula um, just helping me breathe and push, and, and it was great. It worked out fine. Uh, that's because I had no complications with the first pregnancy. Nothing wrong. Nothing right. went wrong. Everything right. went right. And so I, I didn't hate hospitals or anything, but I was just like, eh, let's try it. Try it out. Now, have you noticed yeah. the difference between your children? <laughs> no. Zero Does difference. one have a tail and or wings? Right. I thought the other one, the second one would be a better swimmer or something. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I find that, I'll, I mean, again, I'll never be in a position to, like, make a choice like that. And I... I even thinking, oh, I would do this or I wouldn't. That's why, like, I never feel like I have a right to, like, even have a have a say in the like abortion pro-life pro-choice thing because i'm like well i would do this but 
if I somehow became pregnant and I had the choice, like, I don't really know what I would do because I'm not in that situation. Mm -hmm. I think you just had to research and find out what's right for you. I mean, like, if you take nothing else away from this movie, it's that there isn't a right way to be a parent and the decision should always be driven by your own personal needs. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is to constantly uh, moisturize your nipples. There we go. I mean, I'm doing that right now with this sore <laughs> nipple that I have. That's still hard, by the way. Okay. So. <laughs> so over every dinner. Time, every time I want you to move on, I'm going to mention my nipple. <laughs> Great. But that Things was also to look to say that to. when I did do the uh, the hippy dippy version, I didn't get any any kind of propaganda that was like, this is what could happen to you if you give birth in the hospital. There was nothing like oh. that. They were just like, okay, here's your midwife. Here's your doula. This is what they're going to do. Here's a pamphlet on breathing exercises. That's really uh, refreshing, though. Like, I mean, I'm uh, honestly, I'm surprised that you can get that at a hospital because I'm very uneducated on the subject matter. And so that you could do that is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was great. I loved it. And that, that water birth was awesome. Like, it was like it was just a warm tub and it, it helped with the pain. It was it was amazing. I would do that every okay. time if I could. <laughs> so, ladies, if you're out there and you're expecting, consider the water tub. <laughs> And feed your cat soy moo. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) That that box was killing me, that carton of soy moo. And the sound, like you said, the sound sound of it like plopping into the Mm -hmm. the glass was just, oh, it was great. Question two. So she's watching Slaughterhouse videos for most of this movie. Yep. Is that to keep her vegan? Like if she gets tempted to eat meat, she'll just turn to the TV and be like, oh, right. No. I don't think she's ever tempted. I think... Like, she calls it vegan horror at one point, and I kind of feel like she's, like, it it strengthens her convictions, but I don't think she ever wavers. Okay. At least not that I saw, because she is so thoroughly disgusted preparing this dinner for Michael that I never once thought that she was entranced by meat. Did y'all know what this piece of meat was when she unwrapped it? Is it liver? It is liver, because she's making him liver and onions. Which, by the way, is delicious, but my husband refuses to eat it because he calls it, um, he says the consistency of liver is like someone chewed up a bunch of beef and spit it out, and that's what you're eating. Like, that's the consistency of liver. Ew. It's really good, though. I learned to flambe making Emerald Lagasse's uh, liver and onions. I mean, I think the big thing is you need to prepare it correctly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Liver's really easy to um to burn. Like, you want to, like, literally, like, cook it for, like, a minute, maybe two on each side, and it's done. Otherwise, it just becomes chewy fascinating i'm gonna move on sorry <laughs> i'm gonna make you liver on onions next time you're in austin joe it'll be fun okay sounds good i mean not really because i'm not actually interested but sure yes it's really good it, <laughs> any listeners who ever watched doug knows there was a whole episode about liver and onions and that's what made me want to eat it okay hmm. you don't you don't it's fine <laughs> okay so yes so at dinner they you know have some bland conversation we do get Chekhov's mention about something maybe being wrong with their hybrid suv so keep that in the back of your mind and then madeline begins to suffer from pains so they have to rush to the hospital there dr son tries to take over he insists that they induce the baby even though this is not what madeline wants and she keeps insisting that he is not her doctor and of course because she's a lady nobody fucking listens to her this movie's very <laughs> anti-hospital though like extremely yeah yeah i mean i think part of it is 
it, it's almost the same way that Madeline treats her veganism, right? Like it's a choice that she's made and she's not interested in exploring other options. So this idea that Vivian wants her to do something, I think it's also like she's just naturally rebelling against the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, Patricia arrives and the two doctors butt heads, but ultimately Patricia is proven right and everything is okay, except, of course, en route home, there's a near accident. Michael's airbag explodes unexpectedly and this, he wait, dies. Th- this, <laughs> this sequence is really fucking good. Like, there's the, there's the part where he's like, do you hear that? And it's... That's something about sound design that I love too. Is like when there's a sound that's so like it's so quiet, but it's there, and you it takes a second before you realize like the sound is happening, and it's the hissing of that airbag, mm-hmm. and then it just exp- it's it's kind of a jump scare, but not really. But it's still like oh shit! Like when it happens, it's great. Well, I also like the fact that it's not, they don't get into a car accident, which is something that we see all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, it's a drunk driver. Oh, it's somebody cuts them off and they get into an accident. In this case, it's just, nope, that person, I mean, this person does cut them off, but they don't end up rear-ending anybody. They don't end up going into oncoming traffic. He just veers and then the airbag explodes. Like, you already think that they're fine, and then that's when the danger erupts. Mm Mm-hmm technology modern technology failed them which is kind of a running theme throughout the movie it Mm -hmm. is trust the nature trust the natural way Mm -hmm. uh so maddie is pretty significantly wounded but it's mostly baby related she gets taken to patricia and this is where we are introduced to patricia's assistant slash sort of secret girlfriend shelly played by kate harriet is it a secret i mean like it's pretty obvious they're dating and she's obviously younger yeah i mean i think patricia likes them younger yeah oh yeah because isn't the thing that madeline like was her assistant professor in college like that's that's their relationship yeah yeah we're we're straight back to your next territory trace this is the teacher who sleeps with their teaching assistant but lesbians but lesbians (laughs) i actually um one of my husband's um class uh students uh no 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 classmates um she's a lesbian but she, she she actually doesn't identify as a a lesbian because she hates the term lesbian she's like i'm like you don't say you're a gay i'm not a lesbian i'm just gay right and i just find that that very oh, fascinating okay that's why i like queer because it's all encompassing uh-huh. i agree and it has a political age element to it so and academic actually i'm still getting used to that one because you know i that there was a time when that was kind of pejorative that was a slur it was very pejorative Mm -hmm. yeah so like um, as someone who is not you know i'm always kind of worried about whether i'm employing the term correctly we actually had people comment on a lot of our articles before this was even a podcast like we were doing horror queers articles and people like specifically actually not even just straight people but like older queer Mm -hmm. men yeah. would get really upset over it. Because again, I mean, yeah, they grew up in a time. And I mean, honestly, as did I, when queer was, yeah, pejorative term. I think, and I was like, well, it really depends on how you're using it. It's not the same as the <laughs> N-word, because for me, that's like just like never really okay to say. Yeah. Whereas like a straight person can say, oh yeah, he's queer. But I feel like when you add the uh in front of it, like a queer, that's when it turns hostile. Oh, okay. Them queers. Well- yeah. Why did I put that accent on? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I live so in easy. Texas, Joe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think as I mentioned off the top, one of the things that I like about this film is the fact that it doesn't necessarily categorize anybody. So I do imagine that, I mean, I 
I feel like if you're looking for it, or if you're even paying reasonable attention, you're going to immediately pick up that Shelley is the girlfriend. But because the film never actually comes right out and says it, you could just mask it under the guise that Shelley doesn't like Madeline because she thinks that she's crazy. Like, here's a woman who's got a dead baby that she insists on carrying to term. She's messed up. Well, that actually, yeah, that might be a comment too on, like, youth looking at the older generation. I mean, even though, obviously, Jordan Lett isn't old in this movie, like, this girl is clearly a lot younger than her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the way to read it to me is that Shelley is obviously threatened by the relationship that Patricia has with Madeline, which is why she refuses to pass along the phone calls later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very juvenile. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, okay. So the baby is dead, but, uh, Madeline decides that she will deliver it naturally. It's a three-week period, but she does tell everybody that the baby's dead. So we get scenes of both Vivian and Madeline grieving. Uh, Madeline's bloody water breaks in a baby store, which is great. The plop of the liquid is so gross. That was beautiful Uh, and accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so she, we then cut to a scene where she is delivering at the clinic. We've got this crescendoing drums on the soundtrack, which is pretty freaking great. And then we end up with this lifeless baby and we see Patricia is crying. She's really upset by it. Madeline asks to hold it and she asks the baby to stay. She even gently breastfeeds it. And then the baby comes back to life. And this is Grace. I mean, that's the premise of the film, right? If you, if you want someone to watch this movie, you say, woman has a car accident, baby dies, she carries a term, she births it, it's alive. Boom. I'm willing to bet Zombie that's baby. the short. Yeah, yeah probably. Wait, oh, ooh, like you think it ends with the baby being alive? Yeah, and maybe like taking a chomp out of the tit. Oh, yeah. You know what, listeners, if y'all have seen this fucking thing, tell us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's probably on YouTube and not I know. bothered. <laughs> uh, if it is, we'll post it. So, yeah, how's that? Sure. I okay. can't tell you that when I had this this water birth, the the midwife and the doula did make a huge deal out of skin to skin contact about giving the baby to the mom right. immediately afterwards. And when I had my second, I, they they put him on me even when the cord was still attached, and they they let the cord pulse and pulse and pulse until it stopped pulsing entirely, and then wow. they clamped and and cut it. Actually, wait, I'm sorry. When you say pulse, like like pumping fluid, is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, pumping okay. blood and nutrients and all that that oh, right, right. stuff. Yeah, um, I, I was no because they mentioned Patricia mentions that, but yet when Grace births this baby, I'm sorry, when Madeline births Grace, Patricia's holding on to that baby for quite a bit before she finally mm-hmm. gives it over to Madeline. Well, because the baby's dead. Hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, <laughs> not to undercut, but I think in this case, like. I think Patricia thinks that she's doing a bit of a kindness to her. Got you know, it. she's she's grieving for it because she's obviously very much in sync with Madeline in this moment. But it's I don't think it even really occurs to her, hey, maybe you should let this grieving mother hold her dead child until Madeline is like, hey, give me the baby. I would like to hold it, please. So we've suddenly got an alive baby. This baby is back. Uh, <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. That's, That's the, the subtitle. <laughs> yeah. the baby Guess he's is back. Back. <laughs> back again. Baby's back. <laughs> and it's pissed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this baby has attitude. <laughs> so it's a zombie, right? It's a, it's a zombie baby, technically. I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it smells really bad. 
Mm-hmm. It is essentially a corpse, yep. but it doesn't look like a corpse. Right. Yeah, it's, and it only, it's halfway between, right? Right. And it only resorts to vampirism because it can't eat solids yet. And then once it can, once the, the baby's teething, that's when he starts chomping up flesh. She starts mm-hmm. chomping up flesh. Right, and it has to be human, which we'll get to in a minute, but yes. yes. Well, yeah, I mean, there's questions to be had about whether it also has to be Madeline. Because we never... We never see whether or not it can consume other people's blood or flesh in this movie. When she tried the doctor, the bottle broke. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think about that as a possibility, but I actually, that makes me like it more. Did the baby eat that rat? When the cat brought the rat into the crib, the baby had blood in its mouth, but did it actually, like, try to feed on it? Oh, see, I always assumed that the cat had chomped on the rat and then left it on the baby. But that's, Mm. again, the movie's not telling you, it's left to you. So that also makes sense. Fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so at this point, this is where we start to get the division very strongly between the different mother figures. So Madeline puts off Vivian. She refuses to take her phone call. She won't let her see the baby, but she does allow Patricia to visit her at home. And Patricia starts to act like this is a motherfucking courting ritual. She brings her flowers. She's checking her hair in the mirror. It's like, oh, Patricia, like, girl, you you gotta (laughs) check that because there are bigger issues at play here. Okay, the big thing is that Madeline still refuses to go to the hospital. So she thinks that she is fine, that Grace is a normal baby. Uh, so even when Patricia says you should go and get her checked, there's tests that still need to be run. She refuses. And this is actually when Patricia tries to suggest that she knows best because they used to play parents. So she says that they used to play Ma and Pa to Jonesy, the tempestuous fat black cat. <laughs> Who's not fat, by the way? He's not that fat. <laughs> Like, she even comments, oh, he's big. And I'm like, but he's not. <laughs> I mean, I think the suggestion is that the cat has gotten fatter in the time since they were together. Sure. Isn't that like the first moment of, I mean, at least to me, I, from from what I could see, that was the first moment where I was like, oh, oh, okay. There's, there's, there's queer undertones here. Okay. I see it. No, I, so, hey, because again, I, I forgot about the lesbian stuff. And I actually had the Wikipedia page open, like, while I was watching the movie. And like, the first paragraph mentions that they were ex-girlfriends, um, Madeline and Patricia. And at one point, like, 30 minutes in, I asked my husband, I was like, have they mentioned that they're ex-girlfriends? And he goes, no, but they've hinted at it. And I'm like, oh, okay, I missed that. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, okay. They do talk about... So Madeline mentions to Michael at one point that Patricia was a great instructor and that she revolutionized, you know, women's reproductive health. And she talks about her very fondly, like clearly they had a very close relationship. And then when they actually have the appointment, the two of them kind of touch knees and fingers during the interview. Got it. So it's it's pretty brief and fleeting, but it it is there. there. But then this is your big cue. Like the minute that she says, yeah, it was, you know, Ma and Pa and Jonesy the baby. And you're like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this lady is still harboring this crush from how many years ago? It's interesting, though, because you could take it that, like Madeline's reaction in one of two ways. She could be saying, no, I don't want to go back there. Like, I've moved on. I'd no longer think of you romantically. Or it could be, I know what you're doing. And no, I'm not going to fall for the suggestion that we're in this together. And I'm going to go to the hospital and get this baby checked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, was, yeah. <laughs> conversation stop <her>. sorry <laughs> go on go 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 on 
Okay, so we're now up to the final nice moment in this movie. We've got this beautiful scene where she's sitting in the sunshine. She's wearing this gorgeous yellow dress. Uh, She's brushing Grace's hair. It just seems gorgeous. And then Grace starts to cry, and Madeline sees that her hair has started to come out in the comb. And at this point, it's basically all downhill. Like, it will only get worse from here. (laughs) So that night, there's a persistent fly that climbs inside Grace's nose, which did not play well with a full theater at uh, Fantasia (laughs) Fest. People were like, what the fuck? This comes out the same year as Drag Me to Hell, which also features a fly coming through the nose, but of a grown woman. Mm-hmm. How did the rubber baby play at with the audience? Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, I think people were willing to forgive it. I thought the baby prop was okay. I thought it was okay. It, it was only like... <laughs> I mean, I think it's mostly okay. There's a couple scenes where you're like, that is a baby. That is the baby from Dead Alive. <laughs> I'm sorry. As I mentioned right. before we started recording, um, I have been binging the Wrong Turn franchise, and the second one has like a inbred mutant birth scene and there is a baby oh. prop of a inbred gross disgusting baby and is it like american sniper level bad i've never seen that but okay. uh it's basically looks like a plastic toy <laughs> yeah which is usually what they end up using i mean yeah they can't use a real deformed baby <laughs> oh my god trace <laughs> it's fine So I did want to highlight uh, that Paul Soleil had a very funny anecdote when I was interviewing him. He said, yeah, so I went for the trifecta with my very first feature film where I went with babies, cats, and flies. And he said it was the stupidest decision he could have made because you have to, like, he, he literally had to have a fly wrangler, a cat wrangler, and then he had people checking to make sure that he wasn't mistreating the child on See, set. See, that, that's my, honestly, out of all those three things, the worst effect are the CGI flies. They're not all CGI, though. No, but when they are CGI, they're really bad. <laughs> Hmm, okay. That fly ringer, what, what a hell of a job, huh? Right? Because I know that they, they have them for all kinds of different insects and animals. Like, I know that they have maggot wranglers and stuff, and I just think, that is a hell of a job. Like, mm. you're not training maggots to come to you or do certain things, but uh, I guess you have to treat them with care. Otherwise, you get the PETA stamp of disapproval. I guess so, yeah. I mean, what would that entail? I mean, you just kind of come to the set and unscrew the jar, right? And just kind of let them out. <laughs> But you One gotta catch think. them to make sure they don't all fly away, because then you're like, because it's like it's like if you have an animal that like oh like rabbits like okay so if you have like a domestic rabbit they say don't ever let them loose in the wild because they will die because they mm-hmm. don't know how to take care of themselves. I bet flies are the same. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Who could tell? Fly wranglers, reach out. Let, let us, us know. know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. Uh, okay, so this is where we also start to see our animal pacifist, Madeline, start to uh, shift her priorities. So she has <laughs> no problem smacking this fly and leaving a bloody mess on the camera. Ugh. She looks quite satisfied with it, too. Yeah, because she's never killed before. Mmm, <laughs> blood. I love it. Okay, so at this point, yeah, we start to rapidly see that something is not right with Grace. So she smells bad, even though she never goes to the bathroom. Baths are apparently corrosive to her skin if you rub too hard. Do you think it's the bath, the rubbing, or the soap? Kind of could be any of them, right? Mm. Yeah, any. I mean, it doesn't really matter, but I was just, like, I was curious. I was like, what is it? Like, again, if she's a zombie, what is it that's, like rubbing her skin off right if it's a human baby it's probably the soap but i mean right (laughs) 
<laughs> for this freaky it's not funny. Those people it's who have reactions movie. when they change their fabric softener but right. i guess you're right though the, the, the if we're assuming it's a zombie yeah it's like loose skin Ugh. yeah maybe it would like exacerbate the rotting process for the baby or something like that i guess so right or it's a demon in the water purifies skin it slippage to... <laughs> slippage mm. tasty <laughs> slippage yeah <laughs> So Grace's temperature is also dangerously low for a living being, and she is attracting those hordes of flies. And then we start to get into some nipple biting action. Yay. Uh, that was my nightmare. The nipple biting didn't bother me as much as, and I loved the cut, but uh, when it when it spits up on her, because it's like a Ew. projectile vomit. Yeah. And then it's like cut away immediately. <laughs> it was a really good like, Whoa! Yeah, and move on. And the editing, to, to talk about the editing, it's great. The, the way that they edited this movie, it's all about juxtaposition, especially between the two mother figures. And I think that's where a lot of the power comes from. The editor, from what I can see here. And this specific cut is, yeah, it spits up on her, and then we cut to Vivian feeling her breasts. Yeah, throughout this, like, so basically, we're spending most of our time with Madeline, and she's trying to figure out what the fuck is going on with this baby, and also losing her mind. Because not only is she becoming increasingly anemic, because she's losing blood all the time, but uh, she's not getting any sleep, because the baby's always hungry. You know, there's a lot of parallels towards being a new mother, mixed with, oh, I've also got a zombie baby. But then interspersed with this, we're getting these scenes with Vivian and Patty, and they're doing a lot of the same kinds of things, right? So they're both fixating on the past via pictures. Yeah, we've got Vivian starting to simulate her nipples as Madeline's nipple trauma is starting to take place. We've got Patty <laughs> shopping for RVs, uh, <laughs> which I kind of love because there is that lesbian stereotype that like you have one good date and then you get the RV and you like move in together or you go on like a giant road trip or something. And I was just like, oh, oh, Patricia, my darling dear. It's arguably the least interesting of the the sub stories, the three sub stories we're dealing with in this film. I think the problem is, is that we don't spend as much time with Patricia. So, and like, she doesn't have someone to bounce off of. So we do get Vivian's husband, Henry, who is played by Serge Hood. And he just has these reaction shots to everything that Vivian is doing. So I think it's Sergey, but yeah, it could be Sergey. Yes. <laughs> probably right. We've, one and it's a half fine. years later, I'm going to get one of these names right. See, this is why. This is why I'm like, midwifery may not be. This is why I'm skeptical <laughs> of it. Wow. Wow. You know what, Anya? I I thought you were on my corner, and now I see where the chips have fallen. It's You're okay. definitely going to invite me back. I know you You're will. You're trying real hard. It's cute. <laughs> Don't placate me. <laughs> it's called patronizing. Oh, God, I hate you both so much. <laughs> but yes, Henry is like the most henpecked character in the history of henpecked characters. I love him, though, because you see where Michael gets it from. Like, Michael had a, an ounce of independence. Like, he'd kind of push back against her, but also not really. Whereas you see Henry, like, I love the scene later where she just gets so mad at him while he's building the crib. She's like, fuck you, I'm just leaving. And he's like, but I'm putting this crib together for what? what's happening? He's just minding his own business. That's really all he's doing. He even tried, you know, messing around with her. Like she, gra she grabbed him. She grabbed him in the middle of the night. So he's like, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, let's do this. And then... And then she's like, no, not that. On the boobs. The boobs, Henry. And it 
it doesn't seem like there's a moment of realization for him as to what she's she's going for and what what her motivations are. He's just he's just happy to have a titty in his mouth, I guess. Right. <laughs> Which might be producing milk, as we see later. Ugh. I wondered about that. Was was she stimulated by that point? Did she have letdown? Well, no, I think she's she's using him to kind of start that, and then she starts to use the breast pump later. <laughs> well, because she makes that comment earlier that says if you just keep them stimulated, you'll never stop producing milk. So mm-hmm. I actually just wonder if she's actually been stimulating her nipples her entire life, and this no. is like the Kickstarter. I I took this to be like this is where her grand plan starts to come together, gotcha. and she thinks if I can start to produce milk, then I'll be able to take care of this baby. So she uses Henry to get the process started, then moves on to the breast pumps, and then when she's like, yeah, here we go, that's when she starts to you know do the the weird coercing of Doctor Son where she wants him to, uh, like that moment where she goes into his office and tries to seduce him, and he's like into it and the lighting is so weird i could not figure this out yes like okay so i so i do have a question about this particular scene not with regard to the lighting but it is kind of chef's kiss in terms of like i don't know i totally got hellraiser vibes off of it because Mm -hmm. of like the dilapidated where julia's seducing men and then we're always seeing the the slats of light coming through neither here nor there so in this scene, where she goes to Dr. Son and she's saying, you know, draft the medical report declaring Madeline unfit so I can take care of this baby, he drinks a glass of milk, and then she wipes it mm-hmm. away from the side of his mouth, and it's the exact same motion that Madeline did to Michael in the last dinner when he's drinking the, the so-mu, soy-mu. Uh, Do you? It has to be deliberate. Again. Yes. <laughs> It's gotta be him drinking milk like that. Like first, the first of all, of him milk? drinking milk at all, yeah, and then and then her motion to an to adult man in, in your office drinking a glass of milk. Oh, it's unsettling. It's why they did it in Clockwork Orange. Why they did it in in uh, uh, Inglorious Bastards with uh, Colonel Hans Landa. A grown ass man drinking mm-hmm. a glass of milk is weird, and I know a lot of people do it. But like cinematically, for some reason, it can be really unsettling yes. if you if you film it right. Yeah, it's a cue that it's a weird thing for someone to be doing. Yeah, it's an it's an unsettling situation, and and actually, there's something to be said in the film mm-hmm. for all of the weak men in the film. Every man seems to be weak in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you are just going to get trampled over because you're dumb in this oh, movie. The bros would not mm-hmm. enjoy this movie. Like, you double feature this with Birds of Prey, the emancipation, the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, and they will lose it. I love it. Yeah, costumes are slightly less ostentatious. <laughs> well, I just mean that, like, bo- both films have no, like, men that are good. Which I appreciate in this film, like... I, oh, I love it. I always even took the... I, I don't know, do you think the cat, Jonesy? I always took it as a bit of a, like, an alien homage. Like, the cat is a bit of a protector. That's what I thought, yeah. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Okay, so at this point, Vivian's plan is coming together, and Patricia is off, you know, looking into RVs and stalking Madeline by hanging out in her car outside the (laughs) house. She's looking for RVs, like, what more, it's like Paul Soleil was like, what's a lesbian thing that lesbians like? (laughs) (laughs) RVs. True, it's true. I mean, I... I think the obvious way to look at it is she's planning an escape because she knows that this baby is not all right. So she's going to have to rescue Madeline and get her out of there. 
And we skipped over a little bit, like, just like really quickly to brush through it. There's some like good body horror. So we get the, the, the bleeding boob sticking to the bra, which again, sound design. Ugh. Mm-hmm. And then, but I, I, before we move on, I wanted to talk about the meat that she buys. So she feeds the baby blood from this yes. beef, right? The kinder kills, cleaner cuts meats. But, okay, here's the <laughs> thing. And I, I thought this, I was like, I'm going to look it up. The red stuff in those meat packages, and in like, if you order a rare steak and, like, you know, you poke it and, like, blood comes out, it's not blood. That's not no. what that is. So... What it is, is it's called myoglobin. It's a protein that delivers oxygen to an animal's muscles, and the protein turns red when the meat is cut or exposed to air. So heating the protein, the meat, turns it a darker color. Rare meat isn't bloody, it's just cooked to a lower temperature. So when I was watching this, I was like, okay, so she's not feeding this baby blood, she's feeding this baby a protein, which is maybe why it's throwing it up. Yeah, I mean, I think the the the, the horror movie watcher in all of us is like oh well it's not human blood that's what it needs to be but then if you wanted to approach it from a more medically based approach you're like oh she's actually just not feeding it the right thing she's not giving it blood like maybe animal blood would work but she didn't give it that right funny funny story too that's why veal which is meat cut from a baby calf is much lighter in color than steak its muscles haven't been activated as much as the older cows Mm, and so much more tender yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Apologies to all the vegetarians and vegans listening. Oh, the shot of her screwing the baby bottle co- uh, cap on with the the red gloves, uh, sorry, mm-hmm. the yellow <gasps> rubber gloves. Great shot. <laughs> so good. <laughs> that grossed me out more than the entire scene. I was like, the cross contamination that's happening right now <laughs> is killing. Right. Me. <laughs> so first I clean the bathtub with these gloves and then I screw on the baby's bottle filled with blood. <laughs> so important to note that uh, the colors yellow and green are strong signifiers in this film. So uh, when I talked to Paul Sole, he said that he obviously made a very deliberate decision to start the film making everything look very sunny and very bright. So the house is filled with these kind of soft, nice, warm yellow and greens. And then as the film progresses, you get less light. Uh, time is obviously shifting, so you don't really have a good sense of how much time is passing. But that's why we get shots of the decomposing fruit. And also, of course, her yellow dress, which gets progressively more and more covered in blood. Just a bit. Just a bit. You know, on the one side. You know, maybe that's why that one scene is so well lit. That one scene with the with the light coming through the slats, that, that might be a good indicator that shit's about to pop off after that scene wait is, is this the one when the doctor's in the house because the scene when he's trying to pump her breast with an archaic machine there's like it's one window it's pretty, where the light oh, is yeah. just flooding in right. on them. Yeah. yeah yeah i kind of feel like whenever someone's plan is coming together that's when we get a lot of light like okay they're thinking that they're on the right track whereas in madeline's world mm-hmm. they're like it's only getting worse for her i mean the house is kind of like a house of horrors <laughs> Right. And that's parenthood. <laughs> that's it. That's all you need to know. Oh, it only gets worse. So... <laughs> that's just teenagehood. It'll it'll pass. That's great. Have fun, pregnant listeners. It never gets better. <laughs> I mean, really, if you were thinking of having kids, just watch this movie and listen to Anya and, you know, just... Right. Uh, yeah. This is like Requiem for a Dream with, with Conception. That's your podcast. Oh, wow. That right there. <laughs> right there. Requiem for a Dream with Conception. I like it. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Sorry, we jumped around a little bit. I was just skipping us ahead. Pat. I mean, I know we kind of skipped over all the like the the booby stuff, but you know, it's there. Mm-hmm. Baby's sucking on that tit. Yeah. Okay, so let's jump to the part where things start to really ramp up, which is when Doctor Son comes back the second time he manages to actually get in he convinces a weakened madeline to undergo this intrusive test trace that you mentioned with this antiquated machine and at this point he hears coughing on the baby monitor and he insists that grace sounds sick so he wants to go upstairs and check on her and of course madeline even in her weakened compromised position knows that this is not a good thing so she smashes him in the head with this antique breast pump and i will say that we've been talking about the sound design um, i haven't noticed the score as much up until this i think the ramping up of the score in this third act is actually really really well done as well didn't notice as always I figured but... you did not but i just thought i'd point it out <laughs> i mean hey i pointed out the drums during the birth scene and nobody said anything <laughs> No, you're good. <laughs> Again, we all have our strengths. I notice score. You notice costumes. Right. Okay. So uh, he did, and she drags the body into the bathroom. And this, for me, is the most uncomfortable scene when she tries to make a little incision with a pair <laughs> of tiny scissors. And you're just like, oh, God, can you please just cut him and drain the blood? It's her tentative jabs. Just. Ugh. But it makes sense, right? Like, yeah, she's not a killer. Yeah, but the 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 effects work on the arm is so good. When she finally cuts it like hard, it's mm-hmm. ooh, I I actively winced in my chair. Well, and I love that she tries to get the blood out, and she doesn't really get very much, so she has to make that deeper cut. But also, she realizes, oh, you've got to use the gravity because the body is already. Like, he's dead, so the heart is not pumping. You're not going to get the same circulation. Mm-hmm. And it it's just that moment of, of reality sinking in, right? Like, she has now killed a human being, and she is going to feed him to her child. Well, she's going to try. She's going to try. She's <laughs> She is not super successful in this movie. <laughs> I know, okay. but I, that's why I'm glad Anya brought up that yeah, we don't actually see if if the baby will take anything but her blood. It, it doesn't. We don't. We don't know. Mm-hmm. No. So we get one sort of last final scene with Patricia before she comes in at the end, where she realizes that Shelley has been lying the whole time, and she hightails it to Madeline's house. But at this point, Vivian is already there. She lets herself in. There's a kind of detente where Madeline is like, oh, I'm just feeding the baby. Why don't you stay downstairs and make yourself a cup of tea? Bye. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where we see just how badly the, the kitchen is in disarray. And Vivian is like congratulating herself up and down about how, oh, this is not a clean environment. She's very like uncomfortable. What was she blending? What was Madeline blending? Was it just meat? It was vitamins for her anemia. It was for her. Oh. Okay. So like smoothies. That's why it was kind of brownish looking. Yeah. 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 Okay. It was when Vivian like scraped up. I thought it was a piece of meat, but that makes more sense. Yeah. She had taken like a bunch of vitamins and then some some of that soy moo crap and then uh, put it in there. Right. Um, that soy moo, man. <laughs> really? Soy moo is the villain of this movie. <laughs> So Vivian eventually gets upstairs and she sees the baby. She sees the flies. She hits Jonesy off screen from what we can tell, either with a hammer or she kicks it, question mark. I mean, it was hissing at her pretty hard, rightfully so, but... I just like that even in this instance, like the baby, I got the impression, doesn't love... Or sorry, the cat does not love the baby. And yet 
he sees Vivian as the bigger threat, and that's why he's hissing at her. Did she bring that hammer in her purse with her? Okay, no. I thought the same fucking thing. I was like, wait, this is some like perfection type shit where she just whips this hammer out of her purse. Mm -hmm. Andrew said that she actually grabbed it from something. Like it was like in the baby's room because it was work being done or something. Oh, it's because Madeline was using it to put up all of the fly rolls. Yes. Which, disgusting. Why did they turn gross color? (laughs) Because they're oxidizing in the air, man. (laughs) i love that you didn't barf at the arm wound but you're barfing at the fly tape (laughs) it's gross as fuck (laughs) okay so uh let's get to it folks this is the big moment madeline grabs that baby no sorry vivian grabs that baby she hides in the bathroom there's that great moment where you think that she's going to see dr san's body but then for some reason it's kind of been moved Wait, uh, no, she sees it, doesn't she? Does she see it? Because when we come yeah, back into it. the bathroom later, does she? Okay. No, yeah, but see, I, well, I thought you were going to, the switcheroo, where it's, oh, you think she's in the shower, but no, mm-hmm. she's already gone and left her shoes in there. Yes. Right. Which is pretty smart. I love that. I think that's actually really, really clever. Yeah. Yeah, and she turns around, they... she sees the body, and that's when she starts to pull the hammer out of her purse again. And so I was like, yeah, that, right. that was the moment okay. that I was like, did she, did she plan that far ahead? Like bringing a damn hammer? <laughs> no. So yeah. again, I, I missed her grabbing it or at least her yeah, looking at too. it whenever she picked it up. And so, yeah, it just, she just picks it out of her Mary Poppins purse. <laughs> yeah. She grabbed it off the dresser in Grace's room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I do love the fact that she still had the foresight to be like, I'm just going to take this hammer in case I need it later. Oh, right. and I do. Sorry, this is backwards, but I wanted to. I wrote in my notes because when she breaks that fucking bottle, I was like, "That's why you don't have glass bottles, bitch. Why don't you have plastic?" <laughs> oh. Well, oh. some people believe very strongly about glass versus plastic. And then we get how Vivian's constantly like, "Madeline, you look terrible." She says it like four times, and then she refers to the bathroom as the loo. Mm-hmm. She's not British. She's proper. Uh, Canada has a very strong relationship with the Commonwealth, so maybe some people... I mean, she also... Do you say Lou? I do not, but I don't have a strong connection to the Commonwealth. So you're not a good Canadian. (laughs) I'm not a monarch. Okay. (laughs) I don't love the monarchy. Uh, but basically at this point, we are headed into the climax. Madeline and Vivian are having this showdown where they're on the stairs and then... Madeline tries to rush at Vivian, and this is where Vivian just hits her in, I think, the abdomen and then the head with the hammer. Well, okay. So I thought it was the abdomen with the sharp end of the hammer and then the head with the blunt end of the hammer. But nevertheless, this sounds like it hurts. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I... I can't imagine taking a hammer to the temple, but I don't think I would enjoy it very much. Mm-mm. Yeah, I can't imagine taking a hammer to the anything at all and, right. and not being out of commission. When something like this, it's like, like when she hits her in the head, I was like, oh, she's dead. Like, mm-hmm. it's always something when I'm watching something like this in a movie when I'm like, okay, like, again, the sound is really effective like when it clashes with her skull. Yep. But it's to the point where you're like, she shouldn't be getting up from this moment. Oh, no, I mean, because she even gets hit in the head one more time mm-hmm. after she attacks Vivian and bites off a piece of her neck, and then Matt, or Vivian gets out of it by smacking her in the head again. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. 
And then Patricia's just, like, there at the last minute. Yeah, so she rushes in, and I... I always like this moment. So basically, the the movie proper more or less ends here, where we close in on Vivian's presumably near-dead corpse, because she's bleeding fairly profusely from the neck. Yeah. And we just see this trickle of blood moving towards Grace's face. And I always... Like, you don't show it. You don't see the baby slurping up this blood or anything, because, again, that would ruin the question. But... Uh. I always took it to be that Patricia would see Grace eat or drink the blood, and that's how she knows, okay, zombie baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually, okay, I mean, I know we don't need it, because, like, the movie's, like, again, about over. Um, but, like, I, I honestly would have liked to see that conversation between Madeline and Patricia, where she's like, so listen, <laughs> this is my deal, and this <laughs> is what we're gonna do. <laughs> so this is what I've been hiding. Yeah, I got that. The RV's out front. <laughs> Now let's take a road trip together. Bring all your furniture. I mean, basically, like, these two, more or less, Thelma and Louise it out of there. They, like, I'm surprised we don't get a shot of the house burning down or something because they clearly just abandon their old lives and go on the run. And it feels like, like, maybe, I, I didn't get the sense at the end that Vivian and Madeline were, I didn't get the sense that Madeline was still in love with Vivian, or not Vivian, uh, Patricia, Patricia. Um, or anything like that. I, I got the sense that she was only, Madeline was only still going because she felt like she needed to take care of that baby. Not so much for the baby, but more because her maternal drive was just kind of telling her to do it. Mm-hmm. it. It felt like she was she was on auto autopilot at that point. I, I, I agree with that. I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, the relationship between them, again, is only hinted at, really. Minus, like, the picture that we see of them together whenever Patricia accidentally reveals it to her stupid girlfriend. But <laughs> I, I don't ever really feel a lot of sexual tension between Madeline and Patricia. I don't really feel... Right. I feel love because they clear Like, Patricia clearly cares about Madeline. But, yeah, like I, I, I never for once feel like it's reciprocated. And even the no. love that Patricia, Patricia feels for Madeline, I never feel like it's, um, like, a romantic love. It it verges on maternal, I think, like, considering that this film is all about mothers and feeling maternal, I always took it that the the age difference between the two of them could be construed as, like, it's an almost motherly relationship, but I also get a very almost insidious predatory vibe from Patricia. Like, she is actively seeking to profit off of this by getting, like, Madeline to go on the run with her. Like, like she is buying an escape car for the two of them without ever once talking about, like, hey, I'm here if you need me. If something goes badly, I'm more than willing to drop everything and we can run away together. Like, that conversation never happens. And I'm not going to lie, there's a way... That Jordan Ladd plays the final scene in this motorhome. I don't think that she is mentally all there. No, I don't think so. I was wondering about that, yeah. Like, I actively think that she has brain damage. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's almost like she's been lobotomized. Yeah. Not, yeah, like, yes. Not medically, but yeah, that she has suffered brain damage and. Kind of like what Anya said, like, she's basically on maternal autopilot, and Patricia is actively just driving them around. 
the reason I made the joke about the From Dust Till Dawn reference is because I also wondered whether we're meant to infirm because they pull into a rest stop. Sure, they could be taking a break. Or that baby looks really healthy all of a sudden. They're stopping there to grab somebody at this rest stop to feed to that baby. Well, had we not seen the last shot of the film, I might be inclined to agree with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the final shot, in case people have not seen it and they're still wondering what the fuck we're talking about, is uh, Madeline informs Patricia that the baby will require more now because she is teething. And then she pulls back her shirt to reveal that her breast now has giant bite marks taken out of it. Um. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like... It's like the the front half of her right breast is gone. Like, mm-hmm. she's had a partial mastectomy Yes, from this like, baby. The flesh is now missing. It's not biting. It is gouging. Yeah. And it, great. it looks... Is it CGI, or do you think it's practical? I think it's practical. I hope it's okay. practical. Oh, that was, that was amazing. So I remember it being practical, but for some reason on my Blu-ray, there was a sheen to it that I was like, is that CGI? I can't really tell. So mm. that makes me feel better. I mean, it's very brief. Like, you get a glimpse of it, and then we are smash-cutting to credits. Yeah. Which I love, because it's like, you got what you want. You you know more or less what's happening, and it's super fucking disturbing. And no, I'm not going to provide you closure. Movie over. Yeah, I like it. So, final thoughts on Grace? Uh, it is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. It is horrifying. And it avoids a lot of cliche that I thought once I dialed into what kind of movie it was, I thought I could predict several things that were going to happen and they didn't happen. So I'm mm. I'm very down with with where this movie went. I love the, the juxtaposition between the two mothers or between the three mother figures, I'll say. And I, I enjoy the gender dynamics throughout the whole movie. It was consistent, which is very rare in, in a lot of these these kind of horror movies. Um, yeah, and I, I just think that it's a hidden gem. It's underseen, I'll say, um, because from what I could see on 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 the twitters, uh, not a lot of people had seen it, and so I feel like it, it it deserves a little bit more attention than it's than it's already gotten. No, you're right, and I mean I, this film holds up for me. It's not one that I particularly want to rewatch a lot because, as we've discussed, it is a slow burn and it's very uncomfortable. It's not like I wouldn't call it a pleasant watch, but it's it's a very fascinating watch. I do wish that Paul Soleil had done more after this film. He he has done two movies. One was a movie called Dark Summer with Keir Gilchrist, which is kind of like a Disturbia slash Rear Window homage. Mm. It's not great. Yeah. Um, but then he did a movie called Bullethead with. Adrian Brody, Antonio Banderas, and John Malkovich, where they are faced against a killer dog. Oh. Yeah. Like, they're, like, robbing a warehouse, and there's, like, a guard dog, like a Rottweiler in there, and it's, like, an evil Cujo-y type Rottweiler. Uh-huh. And I've heard it's actually kind of good, but obviously no one knows what that is. I see a lot of promise in this film, in Grace. I think there's a lot of really good filmmaking at work here. It feels like a first-time filmmaker, but I mean that in a good way. Like, it's a very impressive debut feature for me. Yeah, I think a lot of care and consideration went into this film. I appreciate the fact that, although at times it does feel like that short that's been stretched out a little bit, I think it makes a lot of really smart, creatively savvy choices. And I love the fact that it is so female driven but it's not derivative it's not the kind of roles that men write for women thinking that they know women like it actually feels Uh i don't know like to me and this is me talking as a man it feels like it's tuned into some of the sensibilities like the different kinds of roles that women can sometimes get subjected into and the way that they try to 
either play to them or break out of them. But I also just love that it's a small, intimate, unsettling film. And I think it's really effective at what it does. Like, I watched this last year. I just watched this. And to me, it still really holds up. And your score on Letterboxd, I saw, went from a three and a half last year to a four and a half this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, as I said off the top, I I think that it's doing things in a way that is really smart from a technical standpoint. And I, I don't know, I just, I applaud that. I think it, it held up very well on a rewatch for me. I respect that. Okay, well, before we announce what we're covering next week, because I think that's going to officially wrap us up. Um, Anya, do you have anything you want to plug? Do you have pictures that your children drew that you want to talk about (laughs) or just where people can get a hold of you (laughs) (laughs) um let's see well i am i have a column on fangoria.com on the website so if you're subscribed to fangoria and do you guys pronounce it fangoria or fangoria i say fang like like a tooth yes that's that's how i say it someone told me i was wrong oh my god but Honestly, it makes sense, though. Like, you're a fan of gore. Fangoria. Yeah. I think it's both ways. But but the fact that someone told you that it's wrong is such a dumb gatekeeping bullshit. (laughs) You're not a true fan. Oh, man. The internet. Every day on the internet. Um, Speaking of the internet, um, you can find me on Twitter at bookishplinko.com. I was was drunk when I made my Twitter name. So um, Mm. it's, it's... bookish like someone who likes to read a lot and plinko as in the price is right game um so it's (laughs) i was like yeah the game (laughs) yeah i wonder where that came from actually so i'm glad (laughs) yes that's where it came from i was i I probably three glasses of wine in when i came up with it and and now i can't change it now it's it is what it is i hear (laughs) you (laughs) <laughs> well, um, cool. Well, uh, if you'd like to contact us, you can visit our Horror Queers Facebook page or join our exclusive Horror Queers Facebook group. Tweet the show at Horror Queers or email us at horrorqueers at gmail.com. Uh, if you have two seconds, we'd love for you to leave us a review or a rating, if you don't have the time, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can buy things like t-shirts, stickers, mugs, pillows, and other shit at tpublic.com. That is tee-public.com. And again, that's Horror Queers merch, not just like, you know, regular shit <laughs> yeah don't don't buy feces off of there we don't endorse it <laughs> if you want even more content please visit our patreon page at patreon.com slash horrorqueers where you can sign up for exclusive bonus episodes uh normally those episodes would cover recently released horror films but since there are no recently released horror <laughs> films coming out in may uh this month we're still we, thematic we're going thematic so april we had a uh trapped in your house horror theme may we're doing possession for no particular reason other than we want to talk about certain films so um we've got episodes on taking of deborah logan and insidious coming out soon as well as an audio commentary on the unrated cut important of Mm -hmm. the evil dead remake from 2013 so that extra gore folks yes that will be really fun i will say that i rewatched. sorry i watched the unrated cut for the first time last week it's five minutes of extra footage incorporated into the film including the lovely we're gonna get you scene it's a better version. I love it. But before we get to that, Joe, what are we covering next week? <laughs> well, <laughs> this is an interesting one because uh, originally we were going to do this and then the theatrical film we were tying it into got shifted and then it actually turns out it's dropping on VOD unexpectedly. So <laughs> Trace, we are visiting your animated favorites. We are watching... Scooby-Doo goes to Fantasy Island, Zombie Island. What? 
motherfucker. Why am I doing this? You should be doing this. Ladies and gentlemen, we are doing Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, the classic 1998 film that revived the Scooby-Doo franchise from the depths of obscurity, and its 2019 sequel, Return to Zombie Island. Woo! (laughs) You're just going to educate me on all of it. I actually think most of our listeners have probably already seen the original, but I'm betting most of them have not seen the sequel. Um, So everyone, just a heads up, the uh, Zombie Island, the first one is streaming on Netflix. So, I mean, everyone should have access to that. And, however, both of them are streaming on the Boomerang streaming service, which I did not know about until today. (laughs) That is, I guess, Cartoon Network streaming service. Um, which I'm not going to pay for, but you can do a seven day free trial on Amazon prime and watch both of them. And I'm probably going to do that and also watch like the other three movies, uh, which is ghost alien invaders and the cyber chase. (laughs) These are all titles. Yes, they are, but they will not be, well, they'll be discussed in next week's episode, but not at length. So yes, everyone come in next week for Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island and Scooby-Doo Return to Zombie Island. And again, before we sign off, Anya, thank you so much for coming on to this. We really appreciated your input because we needed that mother's <laughs> mother's brain. Thank you guys for having me. I was glad to come on here and talk about booby horror and <laughs> Damn it, that's a good tagline too, booby horror. Yeah, we'll go with that one. That one's better. <laughs> um, but on that note, we can cross out Grace. Yes, and cross out horror queers. A bloody, disgusting podcast network, home of creepy, disturbing, and terrifying creepy pastas, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and the Boo Crew. Horror-centric interviews. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.